Hi, everybody. This is Bob Olson with Afterlife TV. This is where we search for evidence of life after death. You can find us at afterlifetv.com. You can see all these videos. There's a whole bunch of them there. Today, I'm, I'm giddy. I'm giddy. I'm so excited about this interview. Uh, we are going to be chatting with the author of many books, the beginning uh, book that started this whole process, this whole journey, was Many Lives, Many Masters. And his name is Dr. Brian Weiss. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited. Thank you. Me too, Bob. It's a pleasure to do this program with you. Well, that's great. And um, uh, let our audience know, this is, is this the first time you've used Skype ever? It's the second time I've ever used Skype, the first visual. Hey, the, all right. The, the other was just audio. This is a first for Dr. Brian Weiss right here. You're right. <laughs> Everybody is sharing in that. Today, I wanted to, you know, how do you interview Dr. Brian Weiss about past life regression? I mean, we would need hours to do that. We don't have hours. Um, this is Afterlife TV, and I thought, you know, we'll try to focus it on what does what does past life regression teach us about the afterlife. But but we'll sway off a little bit from that and and see where it goes. This you know we I like to keep these things sort of organic and and let them go where they're supposed to go. But I have some questions written down. A lot of them that I sort of morphed from questions from. Um, Facebook and Twitter, those people who suggested some. And uh, I just decided that I would start with this sort of, I'll start sort of with some easy stuff and we'll work more into the complicated as we go. But, you know, one of the things I, I did an interview recently and uh, with someone who had a near-death experience. Her name is Anita Morjani. I don't know if you had an opportunity to meet Anita yet, but you will. She's going to be a Hay House author starting in March. You know, in her near-death experience, she talked a lot about how there's no time. You know, there's just no time in that other realm. And, and so considering that there's no time, I wondered if um, how that works as far as your clients having, putting in order, you know, obviously when there's dates, we can go by the dates, but have you ever had a client who, who has said, um, or even heard of any anybody who said that they actually had a regression into their very first lifetime? Is that even possible? It, it is possible. Time is complicated. As I think about Anita, I did meet her very briefly at a reception, but I really didn't get a chance to talk to her at length about her experiences. Yeah. My experience with time is that when you float out of your body after the death of a physical body in a past lifetime, then time disappears. It's just a property of the physical dimension, this earth school, this earth plane. So that uh, people go back to other lifetimes in the past, maybe their first lifetime, maybe not. It doesn't really matter. It's where the lessons are, and what they need to learn to feel better, to progress spiritually in this lifetime, to get rid of symptoms, whatever they need. They'll go to those lifetimes that are important to this lifetime. Sometimes it's the first, sometimes it's the hundredth or the thousand, perhaps. But one of my books um, talks about going into the future, too. Because there is, if there is no time, yeah. then in one way, all of these are parallel dimensions or alternative universes. Different words describing similar concepts that modern physics has taken up now and explores in great depth about when they're studying these subatomic particles and, and things happening 
beyond our comprehension, really, because say one particle um, changes its its um, charge or its vibrational pattern, its rotational pattern, and another particle at the other end of the universe simultaneously reacts to that. Well, there's no time delay in this happening. So some people think that all lifetimes are really simultaneous. Right. I find that when we're living our lives here, learning our lessons in this difficult school, because here we have physical bodies, that it it is easier to think of life as flowing from past to present to future. Yeah. That helps us to orient ourselves here. And on the other side, there's no time. I really believe that. But we'll find that out when we go there. Yeah. It's hard to fathom not having a first, you know, I, I kind of picture, you know, me as the soul, you know, wherever in the other realm and going, okay, you know, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a, a lifetime somewhere. We'll, and we're going to get into that a little later as to the different ways we can do that. But we'll say, I'm going to have a human lifetime. You know, I just, it, it always, I always wonder, you know, how, what, you, what is the first? How do you start? Where do you start? You know, and but with that question also comes, and a lot of people wanted to know this: is uh, where does it end? You know, is there ever a point where we stop having reincarnations of any sort? I, I should also mention, Bob, that the the answers that I'm giving you are my answers. That where I what I think, and they may not be the the only answer. It may be very incomplete. It's sort of like the old uh, fable about people feeling the elephant and then being asked to describe the form and shape and, of the elephant. And those people who are trunk people are going to react differently from the people who felt the tail or the, the, the back or the leg. And they're going to have different descriptions, and yet it's just one elephant. So I'm giving you my opinions and what I've learned from all these years of doing my research, but there may be other ways of looking at these questions and other answers that contain a great deal of truth also. Sure. So, it, yeah, in my way of, of what I felt, out, felt and learned is that eventually we do end when we don't have to come back here anymore. It would be kind of like going through school. And let's say uh, some of us are in the second grade and the eighth and the fifth and high school, but it, eventually we all graduate and don't have to come back to the school anymore if you consider the earth a school. So when you graduate, that means you've learned enough of the lessons not to come back here. Maybe there are higher dimensions or levels where we keep learning, evolving along our spiritual progress back home or back to the source or one or God or other concepts that people have talked about for ever since the beginnings of humanity. Right. And I think we do end when we graduate, then we don't have to come back here. But we don't truly end until everybody else has graduated because we're all connected. We're not really so separate as we think we are. And so even if we're helping out from the other side and don't have to come back and incarnate in physical bodies, we're still working away on the other side, helping all of our colleagues, our, our uh, uh, the other souls with whom we've been connected for eons of time, yep. and until we all graduate, we don't truly graduate. Well, then that kind of brings up the question in my mind, is, so how many, uh, with your own experience, with your clients, or you know, all the people you've worked with in groups, 
Is there an average number of uh, lifetimes that, that we tend to experience? Or we'll just say the people who are here now in this, in this day and age, do, do you tend to find that people have had hundreds or more like thousands of lifetimes? Uh, some people hundreds and some thousands. Oh. There's no, since there's no um, time limit, you don't have to graduate within X number of centuries or millennia. Yeah. It doesn't matter. If you're more stubborn, slower learner, it could be thousands and thousands. If you're really progressing rapidly, it could be hundreds. But it doesn't really matter. It's, it's the end that matters. The, and I find even if you're going in the right direction, if you're progressing to be a kinder person, a more compassionate person, more loving person, less violent person, less greedy person, less selfish person, then you're moving in the right direction and the time doesn't matter anyway. So I wouldn't even be concerned about that. I would be more uh, involved with the direction of progress rather than the time it's taking. That's great advice. Now, um, a lot of people have wondered if we don't just reincarnate as humans do we do we also reincarnate as other species like animals or even other forms and 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 maybe even in other places like another universe somewhere how can you answer I, that one i think all of those things happen certainly this is not the only place earth yeah. is not the only place so there are other universes and other dimensions i think physical and non-physical it gets very complex because cosmologists, these physicists and astronomers and astrophysicists who study universes. They now are writing about universes bubbling up all the time, there being an infinity of universes. And that's why uh, a possible infinity of parallel lifetimes too. Yeah. So it may be much more complex technically, but I, I wouldn't worry about those things or get caught up too much in those intellectual technical complications, even though they may be absolutely correct and true, right. we're still progressing along this path. So we, we do progress in alternative universes and other physical dimensions or non-physical non dimensions. I think we've been animals, we've been everything. I yeah. think animals reincarnate also. Yeah. There's a chapter in our new book just on animal reincarnation oh. because so many people have been kind of documenting that lately too. But I think that when you become a human, you tend to stay a human. I, okay. I haven't found people being punished by being sent back into the animal kingdom because <laughs> they were too violent in this life. So I think there's more of a progression to this level, and then this is where your lessons will take place after that point of time. Now, this may not be what's written about in Hindu philosophy or Buddhism or some of the Eastern religions, but I do feel that we all reincarnate. We can change in state and kingdom. If you want to feel what it feels like to be a horse, you can go into that consciousness too. Because yeah. why should we put limits on the, our consciousness or our soul? We can do those things. But I think that once a human, you seem to stay a human, because that's where the lessons are now. And the lessons apply to relationships. You know, we have soulmates, we have people with whom we travel through time together, mm -hmm. even though we're connected to everyone, there may be core groups that we're more closely connected to. For example, you 
may have reincarnated with Melissa 500 times. I don't know. Right. In different ways. She may have been your mother, your son, your grandfather, and you to her also. And, and that's how we develop in groups, even though we're connected to all other beings as well. So I think all of those possibilities that you listed happen. With, okay, so understanding that, uh, we, we all know that our population seems to be growing. We hit, we hit some new record recently, uh, fairly recently. And so it makes me wonder if, uh, if having a human life on Earth is like the new big fad for souls up there. Is that, is that kind of what's going on? In a way, yes. It's become a very hot school, very ah. popular. Yeah, that way. I, I shouldn't say hot anymore with global warming, <laughs> but I mean popular school. Popular so school. souls are attracted here because you can accelerate your spiritual progress on the earth. Again, I'm just talking about my own work. Yeah. Because here we have physical bodies, so we have relationships, we have death, loss, illnesses, diseases, difficult, difficult school, a great deal of possibility for suffering and pain and grief, and this makes the school even though difficult, a place where we can accelerate our spiritual progress because the lessons are right there to be kind, to be compassionate, to be loving, to learn about unconditional love, to be nonviolent, to be um, non-selfish, all of these things. So, yes, and I think it's very important what you just said and asked in that question because some people have told me, well, I've stopped reading your work when I realize that the numbers don't fit, that there are more bodies than ever before on the earth, as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, where did the souls come from? Well, now since you and I have been talking about it, it's clear that souls can come from other universes or other dimensions. Earth is just one small place in a myriad of places and dimensions. Yeah. And so this is not the only school, the only place where souls exist. Yeah. And also souls can split and have simultaneous experiences. There are many answers to that question. When people give me a chance to answer the question, I would say, don't, don't stop reading, don't stop learning, don't stop growing, just because you have an intellectual objection, because perhaps there's an answer to that. And in this question of where do the souls come from, everywhere, there are, the answer is right there. Yeah. So I'm not the kind of person that would talk over other people. I, I wouldn't be good in like the presidential debates because I'd just be standing there listening. <laughs> I'm not very aggressive that way. Right. And, and so when they give me a chance to answer, I give this soft, long answer with possibilities. <laughs> but oftentimes they've walked away by that time. So. Well, you know, um, the, but that, you know, that's, that's what I think so many people like about the way you give your answers is because you're not forcing it on anybody. You're not, you're not trying to shove it down anybody's throat. You're just talking about your own experiences the, from book one, you know, just talking about your own experiences, sharing it with other people, not even to necessarily tell them that, that this is the way it is, but maybe more to inspire them to go out and have their own experiences so that they can find out for themselves. That's, what I, the way I, that's the way I always saw your work, actually. That's the best way to teach, I think, too, is you inspire or lead people to have their own experiences. Yeah. And since experience is stronger than belief, once they have experiences, it starts to open their minds. 
when their minds open, then they can learn new things because a closed mind will prevent you from learning anything new or different. And so with an open mind, an open heart, then people can experience for themselves and that, that helps them much more than my trying to force some piece of, of knowledge or of my own experience into them. And I prefer to lead people to have their own experiences. That's why I do the workshops, as yeah. you were mentioning on the cruise ship or in other places, where I'll be in Boston where you are, I work with John Holland in April, yeah. looking forward to that. Yeah. Because in the workshops, there's the opportunity for people to have their own experiences. Right. When they have their own experiences, then they know and it starts that whole cycle. So you're absolutely right. It's to, to be a gentle teacher, I find, is the best way. That's right. That's right. And 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 that's why you're still doing this uh, so many years later, you know, because people enjoy learning in that way. Um, you know, I just did an interview and we were talking about our about our souls planning um, almost like this pre-birth planning before we enter this lifetime and making these plans about what we maybe want to learn, what we want to experience. Uh, do you believe in that sort of thing? Yes, yes. I think it's a more continuous element. That is, when you die, at the end of a lifetime, you leave the physical body, you don't um, become extinguished. It seems in just talking about what I find and what Raymond Moody and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the other researchers in the near-death experience write about, the body often well, the consciousness, I should say, then floats above the physical body. Oftentimes it can look down and observe the scene that it has just left. Floating above, uh, often finding a beautiful light that seems to be restorative and reassuring. And, and that the light sometimes is a family member who had died earlier or a spiritual figure and then begins the journey after life. But that journey after life is the beginning of the pre-birth planning because it's a continuous process. So I call it the in-between lifetime state. Right, right. It's not after death and pre-birth is not really, are not two totally separate entities. So, so after you leave the body, you're restored by the light, you, you still learn on the other side. You're still integrating what you learned. You're feeling how your actions affected the people that you hurt or that you helped magnified many times, their reactions. That's a great learning experience. And then you start planning your next life. Oh, do I have to learn to be less violent or more loving or more compassionate or will I be a teacher or a, whatever it is? Yeah. It has to do with karma, that is opportunities for learning based on what you did in your past lives, your mm -hmm. behaviors, your thoughts, and undoing that or learning from it. Not punishment, but opportunities for learning. And then you start planning your life, your next life. And that is the pre-birth the pre-birth planning. So who you'll be born with, in what order, in what family, choosing your parents. Uh, I think that it also brings up an intersection between destiny and free will yeah. in the lifetimes. Because when you do the pre-birth planning, you're deciding who will be the other significant people in your life, when will you meet, and this kind of thing. But yeah. then when you meet them, for example, how you act, what you decide, that's the free will part of it. So the meeting that's stemming from the pre-birth planning, these meetings, that's kind of destiny. That's yeah. going to happen. 
But then what you do? You stay with the person or say, no, they're too short, they're too tall, wrong social class, wrong part of the world, wrong religion, whatever it is, right. or not. And that's the free will. And that's how we learn here. Then when we make those decisions, it sets off alternative futures. The future with the person, the future without the person, the future in case you've decided to stay together or not stay together. And, and that's the interesting part of it. But it's all sort of planned out and it's part of our master plan for growth. So there is free will and there's destiny and they interact all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, remember when I first started investigating uh, this field back in 99, I, did, I, used, I used to do a lot of interviews with people who were going to mediums or going to workshops. And, and you know, I recognize that a lot of people are worried that they're messing it up. They're worried that they're not fulfilling their destiny. They're not, you know, they're going in the wrong direction, that sort of thing. Uh, how would you respond to those people? It's never too late. It's, you're, it's a point in time where you find yourself now. You're never too old. It's never too late to come back to your spiritual path or to come back to your destiny path or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You can always learn. So the future is multifaceted. Let's just say there are many possible futures. There right. may be a probable future, the most likely one. And yep. then you're dealing with the individual interactions with future and group interactions. All of these things have to be considered together. But wherever you are, it's never too late to become a kinder person, a more compassionate person, to become enlightened, if you want to call it that, or to increase your understanding, to open your heart to choose love over violence, all of these things that we know so well, but we don't always do. So one should never give up. Um, let's just use one person as an example, John, John Holland. Yep. John does this work, and you study, you study this, Bob, I know, mediums and psychic phenomena. And, and John struck me as someone who always has a good heart. So he can never wander too far off his destiny. His yeah. heart will always pull him back. Yeah. But if you get a person who's coming only from the head or only from selfish reasons or that kind of thing, they can wander very far astray. And then it's going to take a lot to pull them back, if anything. So I think it, the summary is that if you listen to your heart and listen to your intuitions, because that's really the open heart at work, sometimes overruling the brain and the intellect, Listen, trust your intuitions, trust your heart, choose the loving path. You can never wander too far astray. You know, it's interesting because some of the things that you listed, you know, uh, reasons maybe that we came here, things we wanted to accomplish. You talked about being a loving person and a patient and a compassionate person and all these. You, weren't t you didn't say uh, be the best-selling author, be the successful musician, be, you know, um, you didn't talk about those things. It seemed to be more about these virtues, these 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 incredible um, ways of being, rather than than what we what we are as a profession uh, in in our profession, or how much we own, or what we accomplish in terms of success. Is that is that what I'm getting from you? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I find that all roads lead to the other virtues. Those virtues. Because I've treated, as a psychiatrist in practice for many years, I treated lots of very successful people, heads of businesses, organizations, and stars, and uh, 
actors and actresses and sports stars, uh, lots of very, very successful people, many of whom were extremely unhappy. Yeah. They felt unfulfilled or people didn't understand them or they had depressions or something else. And I find that when we kind of restructured the values a little bit to be a good person, a kind person, that's why they're here. And then they start feeling better. Yeah. Um, and and I, this is what I've been doing over the years in my traditional psychiatric practice and spiritual psychotherapy and all of these things because I think that's why we're here. Now you can use the other successes to further the spiritual path. You can reach more people that way, but the goal is not to be, say, a best-selling author. The goal is to help people. Yeah. If, yeah. You're, if that's your goal, then you eventually will be a best-selling author or not, but it won't matter because the goal is to help people, to open your heart to be more compassionate. The other things will take care of themselves. It's, and success, to me, is are those virtues, not 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 the other achievements because, so let's say you have four cars and they're really expensive cars, a multi-million dollar house, huge bank accounts. You take none of these things with you right? when you cross to the other side. Yep. You take your deeds, your actions, what you learned, your open heart. This is what you take with you. So those are the valuable things, not the things you're leaving behind. Mm. But money is not evil, it's not bad, it's just a thing like other things. You yeah. can use it to do really good things in the world, yeah. or you cannot. I, I'm probably talking more about these things now because I'm in the middle of this book with Amy, hmm. and, and I'm writing about all these things. Now, the book's filled with past lives and healing and all of that, but the bottom line is always, oh, and then that changed my life and transformed me, so now I'm a more open-minded, understanding, patient person, or I'm a happier person. And so I'm always, I'm looking now to the end result. Yeah. The end result is you have more happiness in the present moment. You're more satisfied. Your relationships are better and of a deeper quality. You're, you have more joy in your life. You have fewer needs and wants because you're satisfied and you're happy. So I'm already looking at the bottom line, and I, I hope I'm not just jumping to that and saying, uh, you know, the other things aren't important, because sometimes they are. And yeah. the past lives are absolutely important because that was the means, those were the doorways that, that my patients at least used to find these higher states. Yeah. So yeah. I, I want to say that it's all part of the process, but I may be going to the bottom line, to the end result. Well, you know, where, where past lives can be so, you know, past life regression and learning about our past lives can be so therapeutic. Um, a couple of people have asked the question as to how come we don't just remember these past lives and I wondered if it would just be too overwhelming all those things in your head is that the is yes. that probably why yeah absolutely that would be one thing <laughs> yes. so you, if you've had thousands yeah or hundreds even yeah then and you've been with many of the same people before you can't go around saying oh I remember you from the 12th century and you uh, <laughs> hit you me doing? over the head with that rock <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to trust you now. And so, so some, in some ways, yes, it would be too much, too many details, too much to carry around. But I think there's another reason, too, and that's we have to see if we've really been learning our lessons, these same lessons we've been talking about here, compassion, kindness, love, these kinds of things. And 
if you're not violent, because you remember that you were punished for being violent in the 15th century, that's not good enough. Yeah. But if you are nonviolent now because you know that deep in your heart violence is wrong, mm -hmm. or you know at a deeper level that spiritual beings, and we are all spiritual beings, not physical beings, but spiritual beings, spiritual beings are not violent, then you've really been learning the lessons. So part of it is a test. Have we really learned the lessons? Another part is it would be too much to carry around all of those details. But mm -hmm. on, on the other hand, more and more people are remembering their past lives. Mm. I've done regressions with thousands and thousands of people, and I've been training therapists. Twice a year I train therapists of a mega institute to, to go back to their countries, states, cities, wherever, and yeah. practice techniques of past life regression therapy. Yeah. And, so, and they've been working with thousands of people too. So many, many more people are remembering their past lives. Many children do. Children often remember spontaneously. When they're three and four years old, they're often telling their parents, when I was big and this and that, do you remember that? Do you remember when I was your grandfather? And then they'll give specific details that only the grandfather knew. Yes. And proving it, validating it. And so more people are actually remembering past lives. Yeah. There was a great book, uh, Soul Survivor. Did you, did you see that one where was a, a boy remembered his, his past, a very recent past, obviously, as a World War II fighter pilot? Uh, yes, and he knew all about the airplanes and other yeah. very technical details that a child would not know. That's right, fascinating. How, how often do you run into that where the, the, the past life is so recent? I know there was a book by uh, an author, a woman named Jenny Cockle. Is she the one who uh, actually ended up meeting her children from the past life because they were still alive? Yes. I, I remember, Jenny, I went up to the Phil Donahue show. This was in the 90s. No kidding. And, and I went into the green room. I was coming up as a consultant, but I didn't really know exactly what they would have on the show specifically. And there was Jenny sitting in the green room. She was 41 years old at that time. She was sitting with her 85-year-old son and her 81-year-old daughter, <laughs> and they were treating her like their mom. Really? And she was, yeah. yeah. She had remembered a past life in Ireland, and then she told me how she that all came about, and the children are confirming this. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was an amazing story. It really Jenny's is an ama amazing story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If people haven't read that one, they, they really ought to jump on that, on that and, and look it up. Jenny Cockle. Um, you know, I want to know if it is possible. We know we know how therapeutic past life regression can be. Uh, do people ever does 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 past life regression ever cause issues? Because we'll say they someone remembers themselves as a murderer or a rapist, and now they just can't handle that sort of thing. Or or are there any other reasons why a memory like this from a past life would cause an issue rather than help help? I haven't found that, Bob. I find that, that pretty much the symptoms coming from past lives, they're already here. Yeah. That is, if you were thrown off a castle wall in the 13th century and now you have a fear of heights, yeah. you already have the fear, the phobia. So when you go back and discover it, it takes away the, the mystery and the symptoms often disappear and often rather quickly, specifically with phobias. They go, can go very quickly. But that's why having some therapy background is useful in doing this sort of regression therapy because if that came up, oh, you found out you were a murderer, you would be able to handle it. It's not you now. It's different. 
we were all murderers and we've all been murdered. We've been violent people and we've all been victims of violence in our past lives. And I find that that information is really already there at a deeper level. The symptoms are already present. If that behavior or those traumas caused any symptoms, then we can get rid of it now. So people have a much broader perspective when they're remembering past lives. And it's very therapeutic, actually. It doesn't cause symptoms. It takes the symptoms away. Now, if someone was to uh, uh, go to an event and, and have a, a regression as, a, as part of a group, or if they, were, if they were listening to someone's CDs, I know you have CDs of your own, and, 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 they, and they brought up or they remembered a, uh, a somewhat traumatic past, past life. Uh, obviously, they're not working with someone who is a therapist at that moment. Uh, what would you recommend? How would they go about processing that, that memory? Right. Well, that doesn't happen very often because usually their subconscious mind is preventing that. They'll wow. open their eyes or come out of the state. Yeah. It's understanding that hypnosis is not coma or something like that. It's just a state of deep relaxation and deep concentration. So yep. you can come out of it at any time. Yeah. You yep. never give up control to the therapist. You, you're never so deep that you can't come out of it. It's it's a state of deep concentration. It's it's the same state as when you go to the movies, and you're so absorbed in the movie that you don't hear people eating popcorn around you. That's yeah. hypnosis. Yeah. Focus, <laughs> relax, concentration. And you know you're not in any danger if if you wanted to save your popcorn, you could come out of that state and. Yeah. Slap the hand of the person taking your popcorn. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it, that's it's it's you're not stuck in it, so that that's rare. But the person then, if there was any anxiety that came up or they wanted to explore it more, they could go to a therapist. There's so many around who know this work now, practice it, do it, yeah. and and they could go to a therapist and, and explore it in more detail. That's right. Yeah, um, their memories, just like childhood memories. So you know, you may have had childhood memories and. They're there. They've happened. If you need to explore them to help yourself in the present time, yeah. to feel better, to get rid of symptoms that those childhood memories may be causing, you can either do that on your own or you can go to a therapist. Right. And past life therapy is just saying, well, the arena is larger. You know, it's not just restricted to the current life. It doesn't stop at birth. You can go back farther in time even into in utero states in this life and into past lives too mm -hmm. and explore that whole vista and and it's the techniques of therapy are the same and Any, so it's it's very safe anytime i've done i've had a past life regression myself i always seem to go back to a lifetime that was uh perfectly relevant for the, probably the issues that i was going through at that time in my life is you know, you. I'm sure you have a lot of people, or had a lot of people come to you and uh, about a particular issue. What are the odds that that they're going to visit a past life that's actually relevant to that issue? Very high. Yeah. Because that's the mind, the deeper mind wants healing. Yeah. Wants understanding. So it often goes to those lifetimes where there are traumas or issues that it needs to understand in order to heal. Yeah, and so the odds are very high you'll go there, and not to some necessarily placid, uneventful time that doesn't have any connection to your current life. Yeah, yeah. But having said that, that traumas or past life conflicts will pull you to it so that you can heal them. You can yeah. understand, heal any symptoms that might be 
residuals of those traumas. When you have a past life, though, you understand, well, here I am, I'm Bobbles. Oh, you are, but let's just, yeah. right, I'm Bobbles. But who was that in that lifetime that I keep going to? That was not Bob Olson. That person had a different body, a different name. But it was still me. So you're that continuing consciousness that is expressing itself, manifesting as Bob Olson now, but you were that other being then. And right. you're the same soul, the same consciousness. Yeah. And so you didn't die when that person died. You went to the other side, you learned, you did your afterlife review, you did your pre-birth planning, and here you are back again as Bob. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that by itself, forgetting about any particular traumas or symptoms, that's tremendously liberating because it means you don't die. Exactly. You, and that is worthwhile no matter how bland or uneventful the lifetime is, just to understand, oh, I'm immortal. I don't die with the death of the physical body. My consciousness goes on. And then all the things that flow from that. So all of my loved ones are immortal too. Yes, they don't die either. I'm going to be reunited with them again and again and again. On the other side, back here, wherever, all mm. the time, forever. And that's tremendously comforting and liberating and increases your understanding, changes and shifts perspective. So right away, that's healing. Oh, yeah. I was a murderer, like as you mentioned earlier. Oh, and another time I was an incredible monk who had incredible um, advances and didn't harm even a fly for an entire lifetime. Yeah. And now I'm sort of in between those two things, but that's how I evolve, I learn. I learn not to be violent or I learn not to be prejudiced or hateful because I've also been all races and all religions, and both sexes. I, I've learned from all sides, so I, how can I hate this particular group of people or be prejudiced against this particular group of people? Because I've lived as that group of people. Yeah. You've lived in, in all circumstances, in all bodies, male, female, strong, weak, uh, ill, healthy, all races, all religions, and that gives a kind of broadening and an acceptance, and then it makes prejudice seem silly. How could you be prejudiced? You live lifetimes yeah. as them. That's right. And you will again as them if you're prejudiced. So, <laughs> That's so right. Be careful. That's right. You know, that's interesting. You know, I've always kind of thought of, of you know, that we come into these lifetimes with, uh, with certain things that we wanted to experience and that, you know, over time, over hundreds of thousands of lives, we will experience maybe opposite sides of, of, of every virtue, you know, that sort of a thing. So, so uh, do you believe in that sort of thing or have you recognized that sort of thing with a lot of your clients that one time they might experience joy a lot, you know, a lot of joy in another, another lifetime might, might experience a lot of depression or, you know, another time they were a caregiver and another time they needed care, that sort of thing? Exactly. And that's a very important way of learning that some people come back and they, for one reason or another, are impaired in some way. Often it can be physically like cerebral palsy or something like that. Yep. It can be psychologically. There, it doesn't matter because sometimes you say, okay, I'm going to feel what that's like. I, want, I need to experience that. Or I need to experience what it's like to receive love. I've spent so many lifetimes giving it and being a, you know, a caregiver, a 
none or this or that. Right. And now I need to be impaired so that I can learn how to receive love and at the same time to give other people the opportunity to express caring and love and compassion. Yeah. And so we do oscillate that way. That's part of our learning. Yeah. Absolutely. You and, know, and I think that the end is still the same. The end is still um, to graduate at some level. And the oscillations lessen as you become more and more advanced. But um, that's not karma. That's just need to experience certain situations. Right, right. Uh, something that you were just saying, just sort of the 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 old phrase of the you know people will often say oh he's an old soul or she's an old soul or you know i always kind of laugh at that because i mean um <laughs> what, what do you have to say about the old soul uh you know people calling someone an old soul is there even such a thing well probably not but it's it's sort of a, a shorthand for saying lived a long time on the earth yeah old soul in earth years yeah. Because probably all souls are ageless, immortal. Right. That's the right. nature of the of spiritual consciousness, of right. the source, of the origin. So if souls are ageless, how can a soul be young or yeah. old? Yeah. It can't be. But on the earth, it can be, because this is not the only place. So some souls may have come here 5,000 years ago, yeah. and other souls may have been here for 200,000 years or longer. So I guess those would be the old souls. Yeah, yeah. It may yeah. not even be a positive. Does, does, does old soul mean you're flunking the lessons here? So you, can't, <laughs> you haven't graduated yet? You've been in school for 200,000 years and you have not graduated yet? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Another way of looking at it. So don't consider it a badge of honor or something like that. It's, it's not important. It just means more familiar with the earth yeah. or less familiar with the earth, but not in the age of the soul. You know, I always pictured if if someone if there actually were old souls and 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 that was meant to be wiser, they might actually be coming here and having the more difficult lives. They might be, right. and, and they they wouldn't appear wise to us. They you know, um, and we might we might think that they were. A, a, a young soul, <laughs> but when in fact they're an old soul going through a very difficult, challenging life. I guess I was saying it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Because an old soul can be very wise or not so wise. Yeah. It's just as how many years on the earth or how many times on the earth. And souls come from many different dimen dimensions, but eventually they graduate. Now, some souls may have graduated and then come back here voluntarily to help other beings to graduate too because that's the nature of the soul as we talked about really early in the program that we don't truly graduate till everybody graduates yeah and so some who have graduated may come back and assume a physical incarnation voluntarily yeah a, a corollary of your question is I hear this from people sometimes too is that this is my last lifetime yes on the earth I'm it's my last life my last incarnation. And uh, that amuses me at a level, too, because I always say, how do you know this? Oh, a psychic told me, or something like that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, you can mess it up at any time. You can create <laughs> enough karma or whatever you want to call it. And, and that pulls you back here, because then you have more lessons to learn. So you can't even begin to say this is your last time. Right. Until you've graduated and you find out. Yeah. You know, until you've left the body. Yeah. And it's not important anyway. 
because as I just said, some come back voluntarily. Right. Because we need to help other sentient beings, other people and animals to progress as well. And so it's not important if you're an old soul or a young soul. It's not important if this is your last life or it's not your last life. And, and, and having said that, uh, and this will be my last question on, on this subject before we start to talk a little bit more about you and, and finish up, but if someone comes here for a, a shorter time, you know, they come back to help other people, and let's just say someone comes back for a few days or maybe a year or five years, you know, whatever it may be, um, there's a lot of people who, who are, watch Afterlife TV videos here, and, and they've lost children uh, one way or another. And uh, is it very possible this is the idea? They came back for maybe their parents' benefit, and I'm sure their parents would be like, please don't do that for me. I wish you, know, I wish you didn't do that for me. But the reality is that you know, we gain something in terms of spiritual growth out of every experience. So is it possible that that might be what happened in those situations? Sometimes it is. Mm. Sometimes the advanced soul may come back for a brief period of time just to help out the parents. Yeah. Because that soul loves those parents so much that it comes back to help those parents learn lessons or progress on their path. Sometimes there can be other reasons too, other causes. And you can have soul mates, that is souls with whom you've lived many lifetimes because you're learning together, come back and spend a lifetime together. It's not always romantic. It can be parent, child, best friends, can be romantic mm -hmm. or not. Yep. Or they can just come back for six months to be with you yep. and change your life completely in those six months. Yeah. And it, it's not always death. It could be like a college teacher that's a soulmate. You, you have a course with them that changes your life. Yeah. And then they move on or you graduate and move on. And, and that's a soulmate too. I had a child who died too as an infant, only three weeks old. And wow. that completely changed my life, that experience. Yeah. It was very difficult, devastating at the time. Yeah. And that was 10 years before Many Lives, Many Masters came out. Or not came out until Catherine came into my office. Yeah, yeah. And then I understood everything, and Adam, my son, made an appearance through her. Mm. And since that time, in other ways, too. Yeah. But I think if I didn't have that experience, I might not have been as sensitized and empathetic with the grief reactions and suffering of people who have lost loved ones. And so when my experiences with Catherine happened, I wrote the book. Instead of just having it as a hobby or doing it on the side, you know, yeah. and exploring it or researching it on my own, yeah. I, I went public because the need to help other people with grief was very strong. Mm -hmm. If I could help, I was going to help. And, and so I think that had a lot to do with my becoming public in the first place, and to having a more open mind about these things. So that's identifying very strongly with that group of people who ask that question well I mean first of all what a powerful example and thank you for sharing with with us with that and and because I mean that's a very vulnerable thing to have to talk about and and you've done that in throughout your whole career but but what a perfect example of the question that I just asked where you're able to bring it to yourself and and and, and I'm sure people recognize uh, you know you 
you're a graduate of Columbia and Yale Medical School. And I mean, you had a lot to risk when you came out with that first book. And, you know, so you can see that what you were feeling for people who had lost loved ones was very, very strong in order to risk everything. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, I was risking a lot because I was chairman of the psychiatry department at Mount Sinai Medical Center here and, and a clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Miami. And I was happy with that work yeah. and that my research in psychopharmacology and, yeah. and running the department. And I wasn't looking to change that, but it risked that whole thing. Yeah. And, and yet it was important for me to do this because yeah. part of well, me recognized I can help people not to have such profound grief. Yeah. I, I'm learning this incredible information and knowledge through her and then through subsequent patients that I had. I want to share this. And mm. so that's why I took the risk. But if Adam, my son, had not died, maybe I would not have yeah. taken that risk. Yeah. Well, that's really powerful. Uh, I, I guess we'll end it on that note. I've gone over time a little bit because uh, it's just hard to, to end this. Um, let me just say uh, the website is brianweiss.com, correct? Brianweiss.com. Yes. People can find out about these trainings that you do. They, they're usually uh, five days long, correct, at Omega? Yes, yes. And, and you don't have to be a therapist to come. About half the people will be, but the other half are just... Uh, ordinary people coming to have deeper or more intensive experiences because we do regressions the whole week and teach techniques and, mm. and other, not just regressions we do other sorts of visualizations and, and experiential exercises but the schedule for that and all of my other uh, appearances and workshops with Hay House or with Omega or with others it's, it's on that website brianweiss.com that's great. Well, we can't thank you enough for all the work that you do, um, sharing with us the way you did today. It's amazing. Uh, I hope in the future I'll get to talk to you again. Uh, maybe we can chat about your new book. That would be fun. And this has been a great, a great time for me. I, 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 have no, I can't even express um, what it means to me to be able to do this uh, with you. I know we've, we've sat with groups of people at the table and, you know, that's not a place where I get to, you know, just fire off questions at you like this. And so this is great, a great honor and a great opportunity. So thank you very much, uh, Brian. Thank you too, Bob. And let me applaud your work. This is um, the same work. It's reaching out to lots of people using these modern technologies, reaching out to lots of people with basically very similar messages that not to lose hope. That's There's right. so much more to life than meets the eye. Yeah. And you do good work. It's a pleasure to do this with you. Thank you.